0: if you have the love of what you're doing the writing then it's to me it's worth it because if i'm not sitting there writing my stories i'd be going crazy because everything would be rattling around in my head inspiration creative people problem solving imagination discovery thinking outside of the box Welcome to Inspirous Audio Magazine, a podcast focusing on creativity, inspiration, and
1: imagination. I first met my next guest as a sailor serving aboard the USS Enterprise. He was assigned to be the Public Affairs Office Chief Petty Officer in charge of our division. We worked together for nearly three years until 2003. After I retired from the Navy in 2006, I continued to keep in touch with him and watched him grow as a writer and novelist. I knew I wanted to have him as a guest when he was selected to participate in an anthology with one of his short stories. I'd like to welcome author Mark Piggott to Inspirous Audio Magazine. What Can you give me your elevator autobiography, your 30-second to one-minute pitch about who Mark Piggott is?
0: Well, I'm a, I'm a military brat. My father was a Marine. My mother was in the Navy. Uh, traveled around, you know. I was born in North Carolina, I grew up in New Jersey, California, Hawaii. You know, I've been, I've been all over the place in in, in er, my early life. Settled in New Jersey, so I really consider that my home. High school, I tried college, didn't work out, so I uh, followed the family business more or less and joined the Navy. I've always been a creative person, so becoming a Navy journalist was kind of the the way forward for me spent 23 years of that and had the great career traveling around the world and 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 serving my country as I did started writing my fantasy stories while I was on active duty and carried it over into my retirement and that's when I was first published and have just been continuing to write since then uh to what I do now as a writer editor working for uh, the Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development. I uh, live in Alexandria, Virginia with my wife, just me and our dog, Sully. My, all my three kids are all grown up, married, and living on their own. So I'm kind of that retired life as it is right now.
1: How has your career in the Navy bolstered your writing?
0: I think it's bolstered it in, in the fact that I learned more. I mean, I when I was writing in high school – I was, you know, school newspaper, the yearbook, that kind of thing. I did a little, you know, I, I, was, I was actually trying to become the first uh, or the next the next uh, Jack Kirby or Stan Lee because I had an artistic side. I was creating my own comic book characters, their backstories and things. And so I started off in that respect and everything. But when I came into the Navy, I kind of got the the mechanics of it. The Navy really taught me, you know, the things about sentence structure and putting together a complete story in in, in that respect. So that's where I learned a lot of that was through my Navy career. And I think it was also with my Navy career that I kind of really built more on my imagination, as it were, is through my early days in the Navy. I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, my off duty times, you know, back in those days when you deployed. You didn't have, you know, there was no internet, no video game consoles. TV was very old and not reliable, uh, you know, on board ship especially back then. Uh, So uh, I spent a lot of my off-duty time playing Dungeons & Dragons, and doing that really bolstered my imagination and helped me be more creative. So I think it was a combination of things with the Navy that did that for me.
1: How how did uh, Dungeons & Dragons and Navy... Mix, it seems like it mixed well for you, but how, how do you view that particular game in terms of, I want to say imagination, but I, I also want to say just your, your, the inspiration basically for future endeavors, I guess, as
0: it were. Well, the thing about Dungeons & Dragons is that you have to, you're not only creating a character, you're creating the character, the backstory, everything, and then you're building on it as you play the game. And when you think about it, when you're doing fantasy writing especially, it's the same thing. You're building a character, you're you're creating the backstory, and then you're trying to take that character through the storyline. As much as I enjoy playing the game, I think being a dungeon master was where I've got more of that character development and storyline uh, world building, for you know, to, to use that term. Because I had to create my world, not only the dungeons in it that my – that I took these guys on adventures on, but I also had to create the world of which it was in, you know, the whole structure of government and just city states and locations and things like that. So that really helped me develop my whole fantasy genre that I've been working on all those years. Uh, It really helped me through that. And again, one of the things with being in the Navy was that in in the, or this was a, we're talking the uh, 1980s, you know, I off-duty time, you know, back then there was no email. So you, you're waiting on letters. So if you weren't, when you finished writing a letter or didn't have anything else to do in your off-duty time, this was the thing to do for me. I, would, my, I had friends, we would go down to one of the elevator uh, on my first ship, the four stall was elevator room number four, because that elevator was always in the up position. So the room was never used. And the petty officer in charge was my friend, so we would always just go down in there and hang out for hours on end after after lights out, when everybody else was, you know, doing other things. We would spend our time down there and play. So I was doing that three, four, five days a week. So it really helped, again, just just the tick, not only pass the time when you were deployed, but also to help me work on my own creativity.
1: Did any of those stories or worlds or characters? find their way into your actual stories that you were writing post Navy?
0: Well actually yeah. The um the the main character in my in the Forever Avalon series, which is my main series I've done, Lord Brian Moondrake, is actually based on a character I played uh during my time. Uh that character was also was a, it was a little different than the one in my final story, but a lot of the characteristics he was based on the weapons he used and the the build, his, he was a fighter magic user, and that's kind of what the character in in Forever Avalon, Lord Moondrake, is. So, I, yeah, he, I, I kind of worked with that. And I've actually also worked a uh, villain. I played a, uh, what then was a half-orc fighter, a mercenary swordsman. It was a character I played. And I've actually worked him in as a villain in my latest book, The Outlander War. I, I changed it. I didn't. I don't have orcs in my because um, orc was a something. Orcs are beings that was created by uh, Tolkien for the in the Lord of the Rings series. So I didn't. And I was trying to stick mainly to fantasy that was uh, part of myths and legends in my storyline. So I changed it from a half orc to a half demon, and. Create, use that as of he's a villain. He's one of the main villains in my new story. So some of the characters and things have made their way into my uh, into my writings. Yes.
1: How does your actual Navy experience enter into your writing? You know the you know like for when you and I served together, we had some nice port calls and in, in Pensacola, and we we had good liberty time together, and then we went overseas, and we had 9/11. Do does any of those experiences color or attribute to your your uh, you know your non navy writing.
0: Well, I think the, the the biggest thing is settings was number one. Uh, when we were able to go to port calls and go to places like England and Italy and uh, Greece and see the ruins and things, that kind of gave me inspiration on settings in my stories. The actual navy part, interestingly enough, is a big part of my new novel, The Outlander War, because in there, Avalon returns to the real world in the middle of a Navy exercise. So I was able to take my experience uh, from being on an aircraft carrier and put it into my story because you've got this fantasy world uh, appearing right next to a carrier battle group and, and how they collide and interact, flight operations, terminology, things like that. I was able to incorporate all that. So it really helped me in my my third book, and in, in a lot of ways, trying to bring that military experience into my stories.
1: Do you would you say that you have a rich treasure trove of those kinds of experiences that you have for future writings?
0: I, I think so. I, I I I see a lot of it uh, in in different things that I'm that I work on. Since my genre is mostly fantasy, there's not a lot to that. But I'm also expanding into a uh, steampunk historical fantasy, uh, fiction in some, in some of my newer writings that I'm working on right now. And so being able to look at the mechanics of things and think about the way things were on board ships and how they worked, and then incorporate that into a steampunk kind of way, I'm able to use that and bring those two together.
1: So what is steampunk?
0: steampunk is basically explained as anything from the victorian era but with a modern technology added into it Um, when you think of the writings of jules verne jules verne is considered the godfather of steampunk because he was in in the 1800s he was writing about going to the moon and traveling underneath the ocean in a submarine and so those sort of things that technology hard with uh, modern modern technology, with that Victorian era, that's kind of what the basis of steampunk is. A lot of it, of course, in, in the aesthetics and the the vision of it involves gears and pipes and steam power, of course. But uh, it, it, it usually you have to have that Victorian and modern bringing it together.
1: How did you come to find that part of your writing staple? I mean, what was it about that attracted it to you?
0: Well, I've always Jules Verne has always been one of my favorite authors. He really is, and so that has always interested me. And then lately, you just do a Google for steampunk, and you see the imagination, the of, of the creativity of people uh, in this in this uh, genre is just unbelievable. And uh, so I've just gotten into it in that in, in that way at first. And then it got me thinking even more because my my current work that I'm working on, it it was a basic concept. What if Jules Verne and Nikola Tesla met? And it was was when I started researching that idea. It was funny that they were actually living in France at the same time because Verne lived in France. He was from there. And Tesla was actually at that time working for Continental Edison in France. So they actually could have met. Oh. So that 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 idea was like, oh, what kind of a world would we have had if you take the genius of Tesla and the imagination of Vernon and brought them together. And from that just that basic idea I created a whole new world uh, uh around the late 1800s early 1900s of what the world would be like in in kind of a steampunk idea.
1: Oh, that sounds really cool. I'm looking forward to reading all that. After the break, we will discover how Mark uses inspiration from his Dungeons & Dragons world building to aid his creative process. If you have ideas about people I should connect with for inspiring conversations about creativity, please get in touch with me through my contact page at inspirus-podcast.com. And now, back to the show. What do you recall of the creative process when you played Dungeons & Dragons? So you talked about being the dungeon master. What ingredients did you have to bring together to create a seamless whole as it were?
0: Well, the the first idea is you create the world, so you have to create the landscape, you know, and 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 then build on that, build it, it's it's the whole concept with any author of world building. If you're creating something whether it be fantasy, science fiction, you're creating a whole new world in a lot of those respects. So you have to start from scratch of what the land looks like, what the cities are like, what what type of government are you instituting. You have to build on that, and then from there, you create the challenges. In Dungeons & Dragons, the one thing that was great about it was you had all the compendiums to help you uh, build your world. Uh, There was a monster manual, which was basically a guidebook of all different kinds of creatures that you could plunk into your world and such. Um, you had the player's guidebook had your different races and classes from elves, dwarves, gnomes, havelings to your thieves, magic casters, uh, assassins, fighters, paladins, all of that. So you had a lot of it, it the, the books themselves helped you create everything that you needed. And then you just poured your imagination into it. And that's, I already had a fertile imagination in that time period. I mean, I grew up watching cartoons and and science fiction, fantasy, uh, TV shows and movies. I, I read a lot of comic books, other books, you know, so I already had that fertile imagination. And this just allowed me the the broad spectrum to just lay it all out and saying this is my world this is what I want to create upon and then from that I was able to take that and incorp once I learned creative writing I was able to take all that and put it into my novels.
1: Wow it sounds like a, a very diverse and rich element that you have available to you I, I enjoy that a lot.
0: I mean I used to play a lot I don't play anymore but Uh, it's still something I I still look at things along those lines as part of my ongoing research. You know, I mean, as a writer, you read all the time. So I'm constantly looking at different things, reading and such and following through on things just to to get help uh, add to my own creativity.
1: We've we've talked about Dungeons and Dragons. Let's concentrate a little bit on imagination. What is for you? What is the most important part of maintaining imagination, even as an adult?
0: As an adult, it's just absorbing the different things that help you build that. I mean, I think today there, there is a lot more creativity in movies and television because of uh, special effects. I mean, when you look at the special effects of the 70s and 80s compared to today, it's night and day. There's no, there's n- no comparison. You can do more things today. So you're able to see more and experience more. Video games the same way because that's another venue. So, you know, that you to help spur on that imagination again, reading is a big part of it. And then for me, one of my biggest things on maintaining my imagination is uh, I'm a big fan of anime and that they have such creative writing and art styles within anime and manga that just. I'm just so drawn to it. I mean, I started watching it back in the 60s when, you know, Speed Racer, to use one from way back then, that was a big thing back in my, in the early days. But it has grown exponentially in the years that it's now part of our culture in, in the world today. So that's a big part of what I use to keep my imagination going.
1: All right. Well, since you brought up anime... What anime are you watching currently and uh, what brought your attention about it?
0: One of the big ones I'm watching right now is attack on Titan. Again, I think one of the things about attack on Titan is it's about a world where humanity is trapped within the city walls. And because on the outside of those walls are these Titans, these giant beings that devour humans. And it, it, it didn't catch my eye at first and but then they also it has a steampunk element to it because they use these gears that shoot out lines and pull them through the air to they where they can attack the uh, the titans to try to stop them so there's a steampunk element to it and then there's also a fantasy element to it because when you find out the truth about the titans and their origins there's so it's it's combining science fiction fantasy it's just everything together In this world it's just and it and it just draws you the characters as well it is so well written and the character development is just amazing and spot on so that that one has really drawn me in i think another one of my favorites is a sword art online and one of the big things it's it's a basic fantasy trope but the thing about it is it's all done within a virtual game you know so it's people it's a everyday futuristic world where they're living a fantasy life within a virtual video game, and the, again combining the two science fiction and fantasy within that, and how they how they uh, do that is just in great storylines, great characters, and I just I just love it.
1: I'm, I've been watching uh, on YouTube a bit of anime. In fact, I uh, one of the ones that I used to watch as a kid is Star Blazers, and someone someone did a a live action piece. You know, with a wave action gun and I it brought me it brought me so back to the Yamamoto, you know, which is interesting because of our naval history. We know that, you know, Admiral Yamamoto was a real person. Right. And so, you know, this idea that they kind of mixed real naval history with this ship that actually looks like a a battleship kind of thing, but it goes off into space um i really enjoyed that and then a that's recent one show. of my
0: favorite too is that, that of, of the science fiction anime that's uh star blazers space battleship yamato that's one of my favorites and and it's they even redid it we i you remember the probably the one you're remembering is from the 70s and 80s uh, but they've actually did, redid it recently within the past 10 years or so they redid the series and it's so much better and and the, the it's so beautiful uh it's it's hard to, hard not to watch
1: where where can we find that
0: and the music also pulls you in as well there there's a service called Funimation uh it's a streaming service for anime they have it actually both two seasons on there um and it's uh, it's great to watch
1: oh that's cool i'm looking forward to seeing that then so you mentioned comics earlier on you mentioned stan lee what comics inspired you Toward the desire of becoming a, a comic book artist, even though we know that you didn't follow that path in the end.
0: Early on, I read a lot of the uh, uh, Jim Lee's uh, run on the uh, uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I, I kind of I love that storyline of them being a 30th century and the the different races, and it, it was like to me, it was like Star Trek with superheroes. That's the way I looked when I when I read that because I was big into Star Trek in the 70s, and then the Legion of Superheroes that first drew me into comic books. But then as I got older, uh, the X Men were just one of my all time favorites. I read them all co- consistently throughout my uh, throughout my life. The whole thing of the being a race of super powered beings that are shunned, you know. It, it speaks a lot to the world in its uh, tones of racism and things. But at the same time, it, the humanity behind the character, that, that always what one of the things that I love about comics, especially and the X-Men was, were big on that. And just overall, that, those were the two biggest influences that I, what, how I wanted to take my life when I wanted to be a comic book writer and artist early on.
1: Wow, I find that the X Men really speaks to me too. I don't know if it's because we're kindred age age range, but like I I come home from lunch at work and I'm watching a Jap- an anime style X Men yeah. on on Netflix, and I see the influences of of both, you know. And I look at Stan Lee, and I look at he he was really working, in my opinion, to tackle these social issues of the day that are still relevant today. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, the, like you said, the shunned, the shunned people. We have a lot of shunned people these days, and so I find that art, in that regard, is a is a great king can, can be a great salve mm-hmm. for for people who are feeling disenfranchised. I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know?
1: How is comic book art different from any other visual art form? How is it the same?
0: Well, I think it's. If you, you have to look at the history of it I, I, overall, I think when you look at the the early comic book styles of like the 40s and 50s, I mean, going back to the original Captain America, how he was drawn and, and such to way it is today, the progression, you can just see it there and everything. And I think it just speaks, it is spoken to each time period. I mean, when you look at comic books, I mean... Again, taking Captain America, for example, and you go from the 60s to the 70s and you see you can see the transition in not only the style of the art, but also in the way the characters are portrayed. I mean, I remember back in the 70s, Wonder Woman went through a phase of where she lost her powers and they actually made her like almost a 70s. Uh, supermodel kind of look when you looked at her, the clothes that they styled on her and things like that. When you think back to Steve Ditko, when he did Doctor Strange in the 60s, and he did it so psychedelic in his drawings between, you know, Doctor Strange and the Silver Surfer, the way he did that, that just spoke to the era. So I think that comics have grown through the eras just as everything with everything else. Thinking about the 1990s and uh, at the Attitude Era of the 90s that, that was, that's where we got Spawn, you know, and, and characters like that, that came out from there, really, and really and Deadpool, gruff, tough characters, you know, no nonsense in that respect. So I think it just, they have just grown from each generation, they've grown with, with the generation that's reading it.
1: So to move beyond like Marvel and DC and some of those things, how do you feel about the concept of using comic art to tell a story like Mouse or The Walking Dead? How do you feel about about those kinds of comics that are kind of outside of the normal superhero model?
0: I, I love those as well. I think The Watchmen, even though that is superhero, The Watchmen speaks more of, the, the age of nuclear power and also about abuse and rape and things in through that through that graphic novel. That was one of the a big one in that in those realms. and I think they can be very powerful. Because again, if you can target an audience with a certain imagery and storyline, I, I think that's a great way to do it.
1: Would you ever consider doing a graphic novel or a graphic story like that?
0: I, w- I would love to. I'm not much of an artist anymore. I've, I've kind of taken away from my artistic side. I've really not done anything like that in since <laughs> since the 80s. I don't think I've, I've done any kind of drawing or anything like that, of my own. So it's not something I've done in a long time.
1: We'll be right back after this brief break. Are you an artistic person? Are you inspired by new ways of looking at the world around you? I'd love to have you as a guest of the show here at Inspirus Audio Magazine. You know where to find me at the contact page of the show's website, insperse-podcast.com. And now, let's find out about Mark's ideas regarding what it means to be a storyteller. From your perspective, what is the role of a storyteller?
0: I think a storyteller focuses on not only the story they want to tell, but what needs to be told. A lot of my stories that I write, I really focus on good and evil because that's kind of the mindset I'm in i think from the influence i've gotten from books i've read and comics and things like that and, and just growing up as a as a mil, somebody in the military you're always you're focused on that that idea of good versus evil that's where i focus a lot of my writing on that. but i think with any storyteller it's a matter of conveying whatever message you want to get across and whether that's a message of hope, a message of purpose, or just trying to portray an injustice, whichever the case is, you have to be able to present that within your work. The storyteller needs to be focused on, you know, and find that before they even start to put pen to paper.
1: What stories have you been drawn to lately of other writers? What's capturing your interest
0: One of the biggest ones I've read lately is a lot of, I I read a lot of historical fiction. Harry Turtledove is one of the best ones out there. His stories are where he takes one point in history, changes it and then shows the world what the world would have been like if that one point in time changed. He did a whole series on if the South had won the Civil War and what our world would have looked like. And it's scary when you read something like that and you think about that, you know, just changing one moment, would that have changed the tide of the entire war and what the United States would have looked like?
1: What do you think the importance is to look at that changed aspect? Why would someone want to take a a moment and examine that one point in history?
0: I think I think it's a thing of what what could have been. I, I think that's the way it is to to think that. Wow, we need we need to look at how we're dealing with things ourselves, because this is the way it could have been. If you think about it from a perspective of science fiction prophecy, when you look at a lot of science fiction, some of them wrote books that are dated in in today's day where we're living right now. Are we living like that? No. But some of the things are gearing towards that. I think the best example I can think of is when you look at the book 1984, George Orwell. You know, when he talked about confinements on free speech that are within that book, we're kind of seeing some of that today. And that's scary, that some of the things that that he wrote about he wrote this book, 1984, he wrote it back in what, the 40s and 50s? And, you know, it was based on the year 1984, it didn't happen, but then we're seeing that today. It, it, it's, a, it's one of those things of you have to look at these things, you know, the old saying that if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. So I think that looking at it, you want to make sure that these things don't happen again.
1: Do these kinds of books and stories, do they have an impact on you personally? Do you modify how you view the world or
0: how you interact with it? I, I've, I think it, it, it makes me more aware of language. It really does. To give you an example, the, the steampunk story I'm working on right now, it's based in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s. So there was a lot of racism back then. But I don't want to use that kind of language that they would have used back then in my story because I don't want to insult anybody of any race. I mean, I have an African-American daughter-in-law. So, you know, it's one of those things of I it makes me aware of the language that you need to find other ways to say things to where and be respectful. That's another thing. Within my story that I have the people on the crew, I have a Native American and an African American who are part of this crew. So I'm having to look at how I'm representing them within the story, because I don't want to totally whitewash things. I want to focus on a large group of people across many different spectrums of race, color, creed, country of origin. So you have to look at things differently and not only be respectful in your writing, but at the same time, make sure that you're telling their story too.
1: So it sounds to me like you also have a an ear out for cultural misappropriation and and not buying into stereotypes and biases and and mores. Would that be accurate?
0: Yeah, I mean well, and again, a part of that also comes from me working at HUD because I work within the department within HUD of uh, public and Indian housing. So we're not only dealing with housing in urban environment, which is largely African American, but also with tribes and Native American. I'm working with people and on legislation and housing issues within those areas, and so you learn a lot about the, what these people are, what they go through, just to get a roof over their head. And i i again, part, it, I've learned a lot within that I didn't even know. Before I got to HUD, and uh, and so that has helped me within my writing as well.
1: What's the biggest way that has helped you with your
0: writing? Well, again, when I'm focusing on different races, you know, it's hard for someone like me, a white person, to write from an African American perspective. But as a writer, I want to make sure that I'm including that within my story. I don't want to, again, just whitewash everything. I want to include something that anybody is going to want to pick up and read, and that they're going to not only enjoy the story, but take something from it. So you have to gain that perspective and look through it. So I ask a lot of questions. I have people look at my stuff and saying, you know, am I being insensitive here? Am I on the right track? I've asked that a lot of my colleagues, and uh, they've been very helpful and insightful in, in, in working with me on this.
1: That sounds like that'll help your writing be more successful then.
0: I hope so. I, I really hope so.
1: What inspired you to tell fantasy stories over a, another genre?
0: Um, I, I Again, just something I've always been drawn to fantasy. I mean, one of my earliest memories was going to see uh, The Hobbit, the animated version of The Hobbit in the movie theaters back in the 70s. I mean, I, I, I love that version, even though it's just one of those things that sticks in your mind. And it's from that that I picked up the Tolkien books and read them. And then I started into other authors, Terry Brooks, uh, the Chronicles of Shannara uh, series, the uh, Michael Moorcock and the Elric series. You know, I was just drawn in. Those are the those are the authors and the stories that just drew me in to fantasy. And then going from there to playing Dungeons and Dragons, it just went from that was definitely where I coalesced around.
1: What authors have influenced you the most, and why?
0: The, the biggest one I, I just mentioned, Michael Moorcock. He wrote the Elric of Melnibone series. His style of writing was just was not only descriptive, but also his characters just so well done. And I think he's been one of the biggest of, of me as a writer looking at Elric because it was fantasy, but it wasn't when people think of fantasy, a lot of times they they look Tolkien is her first thing. Like, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, those are the first ones they go to, because that's the basics for any fantasy, their writings and, and their their ideas on elves and dwarves. Those are those are what we what we first go to as young adults, I think. And Michael Moorcock went 180 degrees away from that, creating this dark uh, world of, of demons and trying and fighting against that with any, with a sword that can eat souls. I mean, that just scary, scary, but at the same time, it just, it's so out there. It's like, wow, if he can write this, then I can do the same thing. And, Again, that's what he was, the, I think, the biggest influence on me.
1: Do you have any characters of his that really speak to you, uh, either good or bad, I guess?
0: Well, El- Elric is his most famous character because uh, the, the, cause as not only the the biggest anti-hero, I think Elric was more of an anti-hero before, like think about Spawn and Deadpool and even Wolverine. Those are kind of anti-heroes and Deadpool. Elric was, I think, first in that area because he was somebody who did the right thing, but he did it in a way that he didn't care how he did it as long as it got done. Um, so I, 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 he's one of the biggest influence, but he also had he had some uh, uh, some other great characters within there, some sad, some good and just oh, but Elric, yeah, Elric was definitely the biggest one.
1: Speaking of Wolverine, have you – do you listen to podcasts on a semi-regular basis or regular basis?
0: Not really. I haven't really been been able to, to really get into a lot of podcasts. A few now and then, but
1: – So I – my last job, I was able to listen to podcasts, you know, while I'm painting or whatever. And I discovered Marvel had a podcast series, one called Wolverine, and – they he they managed to get richard armitage as the wolverine and he did such a fantastic and it's all it's all audio and it's audio production it's like an audio movie and you you might you might enjoy it because you talked about anti-hero he's you know the way they did this production he recognizes that he's an anti-hero but he's compelled to act and behave in a certain way and it is a pretty incredible it's a pretty incredible series i'm looking forward to the next one you know it's all done during Covid, obviously.
0: It's interesting because he was he he played Thorin in the Hobbit movies, Richard Armitage. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. And he was great as he was like that was from from that movie series. That was he was one of my favorite characters, the way he portrayed Thorin. So, yeah, that's that's interesting to see that I would love to hear him do Wolverine. That would be interesting.
1: You believed him. You believed him as Wolverine especially seeing as I'm kind of bummed that, you know, they they killed him off Logan, you know, with with the movie Logan. So, like I want a movie back. I want Logan back basically.
0: Well, you got to think about it. They're bringing the, they're bringing mutants into the the main Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, to do that, they ended it in the Fox universe and they're crossing it over. So, they're going uh, to create all new have all new actors portraying the characters.
1: Yeah. Well, we've come to fall in love with some of those actors though. Have At least I have. You have, you have, yes, (laughs) I
0: agree.
1: After the break, Mark will share the story he most wants to tell. If you like what you hear from Inspirus Audio Magazine, please consider donating coffee over at ko-fi.com forward slash inspirus underscore audio underscore magazine. I really appreciate your support. So what story do you most want to tell? Oh, wow, that's a tough
0: one the Forever Avalon series this series about to me it's been the biggest story that I wanted to tell because I it was one of those things you always wondered is what happened to magic in our world what happened after king arthur died that's to me that to me was always a point of when magic died in our world was when arthur died and I always that's that was my focus when I wrote created this series about where magic went to and what happened to it. And writing it has been such, it, I, and I'm still working on it. I just, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm still writing the story, but it, this has been part of me because when I created this storyline, I created it using my family as the family within the story. It was, it, as, a, as a starting writer, it was easy for me to create these characters basing them on the personality of my wife and my children. So taking them through the story in Forever Avalon has not only been great for me it's but it's been comforting because the fact that they are my family is there as I'm writing more or less. So they're a part they're a big part of that. So being able to take them through the story and everything has been good and bad but it's been it, it i've just loved doing that and so that's been the biggest part of that and and i'm just working on trying to finish telling this story book three was published the outlander war was published recently i just finished book four i'm hopefully going to try to get that published by the end of the year i'm working that i've, I've started on book five so I'm, I'm hoping to take it up to another you know two trilogies so six books in all and that would be my that when I when that gets done then I've I've told the story I wanted to tell.
1: You mentioned that you have you have a full time job and then you, t- you you mentioned in the pre interview that you kind of write in the evening. How much time do you spend writing, marketing, and producing your books at night? You know what what is your work life like that way?
0: Basically, if I'm not you know I mean I spend at least a few hours every night working on. It. I'm I'm either writing my current works and project or I'm developing my social media, planning it out for the week. I use a couple of different online programs, Hootsuite. I can put in inputs so I can plan out my social media posts for a week at a time. So that helps me because it automatically sends them out. I just have to spend a few hours like at the beginning of the week, plan out my post for the week, and, and then it does it for me. I use a program called Book Brush, which is an online program that lets me create the imagery for advertising my, my novels through my social media. So that helps uh, tremendously. So that, that, those are a big part of it. It's usually, like I said, a, a, I'm spending a few hours every day, but at the same time on the weekends, I'm spending probably more like six to seven hours. Half of my days on weekends, if, I'm not out doing something. I'm, I'm sitting at the computer working on stuff, or I'm also a lot of times I'm spending on my phone because I can do a lot of stuff on my phone. So if I'm replying back to a social media post that somebody said something to, or getting back to, uh, you know, answering answering something within that, a few minutes here and there, all every day, it's a constant daily thing. As an independent author, you don't have a staff. I'm I'm it. I do everything myself. So uh, I have to take the time and, and plan and plan what I can and do what I can. Take a 15-minute break at work, and I'm, you know, I I stop working at my computer for work, which I've been working from home like everybody else recently. And I'll just pick up my phone, go through a few things, put my phone down, go back to work. That's just all a part of it. You know, my goal would be to be a full-time author. I would love to be able to do that and just focus on writing and everything and let it, let let whatever publisher handle all the social media and stuff. But uh, I'm not there yet, so I'm just still working towards that.
1: All right, so you mentioned independent writing. You're an independent author. Can you tell me about a bit about that process for you? I consider myself to be an independent author myself and i'm i'm still kind of in the beginning phases you know i've been writing for a long time what has the process been like for you to be your publisher to be your social media person to be all those roles
0: well i mean it's time consuming but if you have the love of what you're doing the writing then it's to me it's worth it because if i'm not sitting there writing my stories i'd be going crazy because everything would be rattling around in my head so I've got to focus and do the writing. And then when the writing if it's the manuscript is sitting on my computer, it's not doing anybody any good. I send my stuff out to agents and publishers all the time. I'm always trying getting feelers out there trying to find somebody who will take a chance on me. But until then I'm doing it all myself, which is writing, editing, looking for artists to do help me with covers and interior art. Sometimes I do the interior art myself, just putting together an image through you know on on PowerPoint that I then take and save as a piece of artwork and use that for interior art. You do what you you make whatever shortcuts and do what you have to do to make ends meet it's not oh it's not the glamorous it's because you're doing a lot of the stuff and you're putting more money out of pocket than you're getting in i over the 20 years I've been t- as an independent author, because my first book was published in 20, 2009, so I've been an independent author for over 20 years. Within that time, I've made less than a thousand dollars on book sales, but I've probably put out over 10,000 or more, 10 to 20,000 on, on between publishing, artists, marketing, you name it book fairs as an independent author you buy your author copies and then you go to a book sale or go to a book fair and you send there and you try to resell them signing them for people you do all that yourself and it it is time consuming but like I said I have a dream of being an author and of being you know well let me rephrase that I am an author I consider myself an author I want to be a pub uh, an author that is self-sufficient. I think that's that's the key. Independent authors are not always self-sufficient at start, but you want to get there. And that's where I'm I'm hoping to get.
1: Would you say that your experience as a journalist in the navy allowed you to have the feeling or the thought process that you could do all those functions yourself? Like the reason I asked that is I feel like our desktop publishing experience our public relations experience, oh, yeah. all those things we we wrote press releases. So all those things to me feed right into our ability to be able to put our stuff out there on our own.
0: I mean, absolutely, having that background in public relations that we have with uh, through the Navy has given me kind of an edge in in the marketing side of things in some in a lot of respects, as well as on the the desk the publishing side and even the writing. Because when, like I said, the Navy is what taught me about sentence structure and formatting and things like that. You learn how to build that story. And so you take that from one thing to to another. It, it's a little different in the creative writing from writing a feature story or a news release. But a lot of the main elements are still there. You just have to rework it. And so it it has helped a lot of that. And I think the biggest thing the navy helps me with is multitasking because I wouldn't be able to move and do everything the different jobs that I had to do as an author and do my regular day job if I didn't learn about a lot of that within the navy because in the navy you had to do your regular job, standard duty, uh general quarters drills, keep your qualifications up in Everything from fire mining, plan maintenance, everything, one thing after another. It was, it was a constant barrage of multitasking that we had to do, especially at sea, you know, when we're deployed. So I think that plays a big part of what we're able to do today.
1: Do those non-writing tasks, do they feed your creativity or do they hinder it or what's your feeling about that?
0: Doing the social media, yes, because you not only have to make sure you have something, some eye-catching imagery, so you have to be creative in those lines, but at the same time, you, you've you got to be able to take your 80,000 plus word book and put it into 240 characters. That's That's hard, because you're trying to sell it, and you're trying to make somebody look at that, read that one or two sentences and say, I want to read that book. And so you're trying to do it in that respect. And so that can be hard. But yeah, it has helped tremendously.
1: What would you like to tell those up-and-coming writers, the people who maybe are on the fence about independent writing? What would you tell that person?
0: I I would say that if you have the passion for it, then it's worth it. Because I've I've enjoyed my time as a writer. I've, I've learned so much about myself. About the business, you've got to really research things because you can get caught in and drawn into something that you don't want to do. It's going to cost you a lot more money than you than you can than you imagine. But you, it just if you research things ahead of time, I think it'll be it'll be worth it in the, in the long run if you have the passion for it.
1: Would you say that the work that you're doing with your writing is a labor of love, a a, a passion project? And oh yeah, the money- definitely. The money that you're spending is is worth it?
0: (laughs) The money I'm spending, it's worth it. But at the same time, I've learned. I'm trying to find different ways of doing things without having to spend all that money because it's hard. Going back to my my third book, The Outlander War, which was just published, I spent $3,000 on editing, publishing, cover design, And then marketing through my publisher, I gave, but I, but they did it all themselves. I paid them. They did everything. If you would do that out in, you know, and do it separately, I mean, you can publish for stuff for free through Kindle direct publishing on Amazon. There are ways to publish stuff for free, but you still need to make sure that it's edited properly. You still need to have that art. You still need to be able to market it. Yes, you don't have to pay for things, but it's not going to be as good of a product. And I've seen some books out there that are not that good because somebody's trying to rush pushing it out there. You don't want that. You have to find that happy medium of paying for some things and doing things other things for free. I have a lot of uh, previous contacts uh, through my marketing that I try to reach out and Go back, I'd I've, I've be able to follow through on with each book I've published. So I'm working with that and hoping to, again, you just, the hardest part is building that audience. Once you get that audience, I think you can find things even better.
1: We'll be right back after the break. Please consider subscribing to Inspirous Audio Magazine. Not only will you earn my great appreciation, but as a thank you, you'll receive access to content not found in the episodes. You'll also receive advanced notification that a new episode will be released. You can subscribe at Inspirus Audio Magazine's website, inspirous-podcast.com. Welcome back to Inspirus Audio Magazine, and now Mark is going to tell us where he wants to travel and why. You mentioned about travel, and that you said that you wanted to go to Japan. So I wanted to ask you, and I'm guessing that's a nod toward anime, if when you visit Japan what is the first thing you want to experience while you're there?
0: Honestly, I think if I would be able to, to going somewhere like Japan... Uh, <laughs> there, there is actually one of the. It's one of the funniest things, but it, I, I really want to visit it, harkening back to Star Blazers. There is actually a statue of the the robot, IQ9. There he's known as Analyzer, but there's actually a statue of him, in this one in the town where the where the animation studios that created it are located. That to me is just being able to see something like that is very cool. Studio Ghibli, the Ghibli movies uh, by Hayao Miyazaki, are some of my favorites. There is actually a bus stop in Japan which has a giant Totoro uh, there, which he's a cat, and so but he's one of his most popular movies. And there's a you know it's silly stuff like that, but I mean it's just that's that's was my first imagery of of that country as a child, seeing things like that. There, there's one other place there, there's a giant Gundam robot they have built. That's just the cool part of what got my imagination flowing was seeing images like that. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'd like to see. I mean, I want to see all the, the shrines and the places like Tokyo Tower, Kyoto, things like uh, Mount Fuji. Those are the beautiful stuff, the cherry blossoms, all that I want to see and experience. But there's a lot of silly, silly, stupid things, as my wife would say, (laughs) (laughs) and I also want to see because that's the kid in me. To me, being a writer, especially writing fantasy, yeah, some of it can be grown up and adult in your writing, but at the same time, to write stuff like this, you have to be that kid at heart. And so I always keep that about me. I always try to keep that, that I'm still that kid at heart.
1: Nice. So when you served in the Navy, you did get any opportunity to go overseas to go there?
0: Unfortunately no, I never did. I I, I was always an East Coast sailor. I never got further west than Indiana. So
1: <laughs> There's no Navy in Indiana as far as well, I know.
0: Well, well you got to remember the old Defense Information School was once in Indiana. You're
1: absolutely right.
0: And it and I was an instructor there. Uh, so that that was a uh, Actually, I would say Chicago is as far west as I got because I also went. I that was where I uh, went to boot camp. So that's about as further west as I got.
1: Hopefully, hopefully, you went there in the fall and not the winter or the summer.
0: Yeah, fall. Yeah, I did. I was. I was. I did. I was able to get out of there before the winter.
1: <laughs> I used to live there. I'm right? very familiar with that stuff. What uh, I don't know if I asked this earlier or if you meant, answered it, but I'm going to ask it this way. What writing projects are you working on currently?
0: I finished book four of the Forever Avalon series. The title is The Prometheus Engine. So I've just finished that one. Again, I'm hoping to have it published by the end of the year. I've also written a new fantasy series. It's called The Last Magus. It's kind of a reimagined world with the main character as a magus. The magus are warrior wizards. They can use magic, but at the same time can wield weapons. They kind of have a bad reputation, and so it's basing around a character who's trying to find himself. And so that's a new series that I've started working on. I'm getting have, hoping that the first one of that one also published by the end of the year. And again, the steampunk story, I developed it first as a st- short story. It's called Corsair and the Sky Pirates. And my short story actually won a steampunk writing contest and so it's going to be published in an anthology of steampunk short stories that will be published this year. But I, I took the short story, and now I'm expanding it into a full novel. So I'm um, hoping I'm working. That's, Mike, what I'm currently in the middle of writing right now as well.
1: Well, I want to raise my hand and be a beta reader whenever you get some of this stuff This stuff done. This, all this stuff sounds really cool. Yeah. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. All right, so we're kind of at the end of the regular part of the interview, so now I'm going to ask you – Four rapid-fire questions. What are you curious about right now?
0: I, I'm just curious about when we're going to be able to get life back to normal. I've been at in this for a year, and it, it's just hard. I think being the seeing the country like this, uh, the world, the world like this. So I'm I'm just curious as to when things will hopefully get back to normal.
1: What's normal for you?
0: Normal is just being able to go out and and not have to worry about, do I have my mask with me? Am I social distancing? Am I going to get sick from the person 10 feet away from me? It's just, I I think just the the way it was before COVID, that is normal to me. And just, I miss going to a theater to see a movie. I mean, I don't mind watching it on my TV, but... Streaming is not, uh, you know. I miss going to an IMAX and seeing everything in the big screen and having it, uh, the sound and the visuals come at you. That that is normal to me.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. I was talking to my wife the other day. I was like, I, I want to go to a movie theater. Kind of find a movie theater. But there's nothing know, right is now. Is there going
0: to be anything open, or are we going to go back to drive-ins? I mean, that's that's might might be a good thing. The only good thing is is we may we may see drive-ins again. <laughs>
1: No, our drive-ins are already open out here. And my brother works for a movie uh, production, not a movie production company, but he puts in the projectors, and he says that they they had pop-up drive-in movie theaters, like a a project on the side of a building or something, and you just park, and you have the radio station tuned to whatever. So socially distanced drive-in movie theaters. What do you miss most about your childhood summer vacations?
0: The thing I miss the most is where we used to spend it. My family, uh, my grandfather used to own a cabin that was on the Delaware River. And every summer we would go up there, spend the week, we would spend our weekends at the river. We would go up there, stay at the cabin. We would go swimming in the river, cooking out, all of that. And Unfortunately, you know, my 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 father, when he got up in age and couldn't take care of the cabin anymore, he had to sell it and everything. So, it's it, that part of my life is gone, and so that's something I miss from my childhood summer vacations.
1: What part of New Jersey did you grow up in?
0: It's a town called Phillipsburg. It's about an hour and a half, two hours north of Philadelphia. It's right, basically, if you if you know where the Lehigh Valley is. Allentown, uh, Bethlehem, and Easton, Pennsylvania, that stretch there, right when you cross over from there into Jersey, there's Phillipsburg, and we're, we're, that, we're right there on the Delaware River.
1: I used to live in Sussex, that's why I was asking. I used to live, we used to be really close to Poughkeepsie. A little, so. Yeah,
0: a little further south, or that's north, that's northern New Jersey.
1: Yeah, by high point. If thoughts become things, what did you just create?
0: If thoughts become things yeah loss becomes things i think uh an airship that can that can stay afloat and fly around the world nonstop and just keep on flying through the through the air
1: as long as it's faster than 80 days right <laughs>
0: yes all right so
1: my last question you're on a train trip across the country and you can only bring three things what are they
0: Ooh, three things: my wife, a good book, and my laptop so I can write.
1: Is the book one of yours or is it someone else's?
0: I think if I brought along any books, it would it would probably be. Uh, I mentioned the Harry Turtle of. Nice. Where can
1: people find you? What What's the best place for people to find out about your writing, about your social media?
0: Um, my website is authormarkpiggott.wordpress.com. And it's both my website where I talk about, have all the information on my books as well as a blog. I talk about just everything, anything that comes to mind from writing tips to uh publishing tips for in, new independent authors to uh anything i'm geeking out on at the moment you know so it's just a li- little bit of everything but uh my and from there there's like the links to all my books links to all my social media all there
1: nice is there anything i didn't ask that you would have liked me to
0: no you covered everything great i appreciate it thank you and i appreciate this opportunity
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's nice to reconnect after so many years.
0: Yeah, the one thing I've learned is, you know, a lot of times in the Navy, is you make those connections, and a lot of those connections are for life. And you know, you you never, you know, you might lose touch, but you never forget.
1: Well, like for me, some of my favorite memories on the Enterprise were like on—I don't know if it was Saturdays or Sundays—but you had your own radio show, and we would listen in. And I can remember. I hope your wife doesn't hear this, but I can remember we 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 had liberty together, and you were out there. Like I've got to smoke a cigar, so you smoked a nice cigar, and you also gave me some really fantastic advice. You said, you know, I know you're frustrated with the navy right now, but if you just hang out four more years, your retirement will. And the, you know, I know I've told you this before. But it bears repeating that you gave me some of the best advice I had in my career, and I, I truly appreciate you. And I appreciate the fact that you were both writers, and that we can we can kind of share that experience together. So,
0: well, um, first off, let me say I don't smoke cigars anymore. I had to give those up because of uh, heart heart issues, so I, and, and blood pressure. So I kind of had to had to leave those aside. So that that time was probably one of the last ones, times I I've smoked. But you know, it, it warms my heart to hear that one of the great things I had within my Navy career is the fact of that there are people out there who have progressed and done things, and they they can say thank you for you know if, if it's some advice I've given, and and you know you don't think about it the time you're giving it, you're just trying to to help somebody through a tough time or whatever's happening. And, and so that the fact that I've been able to help to do that for you, it, it just, it it, 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 it feels good.
1: Wow. I appreciate you very much, Mark. All right. Well enjoy the rest of your Saturday. I really appreciate your time and say hello. to your love the wife for me? And uh, I will do I'm that. Sure we'll, I'm sure we'll continue to talk. Thanks for listening to Inspirus Audio Magazine. I spoke with Mark Pigott, who shared stories about what inspires his writing. He also talked about his love of anime, and then he shared a bit about the actual craft of writing and the creativity it takes. He spoke about a story he wrote called Corsair in the Sky Pirates. If you'd like to listen to an excerpt of his story, consider subscribing at inspirus podcastcom If you'd like to learn more about Mark, the show notes will share where you can find his website. Inspirous Audio Magazine is produced by Spencer Webster and S.P. Webster Press. Music is provided by Leland Hirschman, and intro narration is provided by Mackenzie Webster. And it bears repeating, please consider subscribing at inspirous-podcast.com. And remember, creativity is in your future.